I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, in the second episode of the series Ireland Untraveled, we uncover the fascinating story of how the Irish nation saw the decline of its national language, jeopardizing its identity, and what it means for anyone who belongs to the Indian subcontinent. In 2016, a strange event unfolded in Cork County in Ireland. Cormac O'Bruick, a native Irish speaker from Kerry, was working part-time in the Flying Enterprise pub in Cork City. According to him, he spoke Irish from time to time with another barman and with a few customers that understood the language. One day, however, the owner of the pub, Finbar O'Shea, requested that O'Bruick only speak English while working. This escalated into a row, with Obruik claiming that Oshia was shouting at me and banging on the table. Obruik eventually decided to leave his job, feeling he couldn't work for a business that forbade him to speak Irish. The case gained national attention and was reported across media outlets. Wait, not being allowed to speak Irish in Ireland, even with people who speak Irish, how does that even make sense? But wait, doesn't everyone in Ireland speak Irish? The status of the Irish language in Ireland is one of the most enigmatic questions facing the modern Irish nation. But how did we arrive at the point that a native language which originated on the land itself is no longer spoken widely? Or as in the case of Obruis being forbidden to speak Irish at work? It all began about 800 years ago in the 12th century. British were looking to assert their rule over Ireland. Gerald of Wales, a royal clerk and historian to the future English King John, accompanied him on his expedition to Ireland in the year 1185. Describing the Irish people, Gerald wrote, "Thus this people is a barbarous, a truly barbarous one, because it is most rude, not only in its barbarous mode of dressing, but also in its abundant hairdos and beards all their customs are most barbarous henry the 8th noted that nothing did more to keep the people of ireland in a certain savage and wild kind and manner of living than the diversity that is between them in tongue language order and habitat irish has been spoken in ireland for thousands of years although for how long exactly is unclear the problem is that the spoken word leaves no permanent record and therefore impossible to say when people started speaking irish linguists have been left to rely on archaeology models of language evolution and genetics to figure out as to when irish language arrived in ireland estimates range from over 4000 years ago to about 3000 years ago but that changed with the arrival of the british in the late 12th century popularly known as the Anglo-Norman invasion of England parts of Ireland directly came under british rule while the irish language or gaelic as it's popularly known 
continued to be spoken widely, the seeds of its replacement with English had been sown. The Battle of Kinsale in 1601 marked the end of the independent Gaelic lordships and the Irish-speaking political elite that held sway over the island. The Cromwellian campaign of the 1650s and the Williamite wars later in the century brought about a massive land transfer. It moved from people who descended from Gaelic aristocracy to settlers from England and Scotland. By the beginning of the 18th century, Irish was not the first language of the people with significant political, economic and social clout. Around that time, the people who were fluent in Irish were amongst the poorest of Irish citizens. Another seminal event in 1845 accelerated the decline of the Irish. The Irish potato famine began in 1845 when a fungus-like organism spread rapidly throughout Ireland. The infestation ruined up to one half of the potato crop that year and about three quarters of the crop over the next seven years. The worst impact of the disaster was felt in the poorest parts of Ireland, which was precisely where the language remained the strongest. By the end of the 18th century, the ban on the Catholic Church, better known as the penal laws, were reversed. And by then, the clerical hierarchy of the church was drawn from wealthier English-speaking classes. In giving sermons to large flocks, often with a range of abilities in Irish and English, priests defaulted to English. This led to English making further intrudes into Ireland. With the advent of the Industrial Revolution, the shift from employment on land to employment in factories and businesses began. Knowing only Irish became a difficult proposition. Over time, Irish became associated with poverty and backwardness. Many Irish peasants believed that they are poor because they spoke Irish and had no intention on passing on this economic misfortune to their children. With English being introduced in schools, it became to be seen as the language of upward mobility. To succeed in modern Ireland, one needed to know English. However, the political climate had also undergone a parallel change. A strong desire for a free Irish state had emerged. Known as the Easter Rising, the Irish Republicans led an armed resurrection against the British in 1916. Over a period of six years, over numerous conflicts and elections, things came to a head in 1922 when the Irish Free State was declared and Northern Ireland was carved out as a separate country. The dominant Irish state became the Republic of Ireland or simply Ireland. Meanwhile, Irish nationalism coincided with the desire for Irish revival. The most famous attempt in this direction was the establishment of the Gaelic League, established by Douglas Hyde and Ian McNeil in 1893. In one of their speeches, they focused on establishing Irish as a living language to ensure that current speakers, mostly concentrated on the west coast of Ireland, continue to speak it. From the very beginning, the revivalist movement was about preserving Irish where it was already spoken. In the decades that followed, the government tried everything, from making Irish language certification mandatory for coveted jobs and civil services to introducing Irish at the school level compulsorily. However, all the efforts ignored one fundamental truth. There was simply no motive for the Irish people, already comfortable with English, to switch to Irish. It's the classic fallacy of thinking that mere availability and access changes people's behavior. Secondly, the teachers who were supposed to teach the language at a primary level were themselves deficient in the language since they never actively pursued it growing up. Even when it was taught effectively, there has been too much focus on reading and writing it, but not enough on learning to speak it. In a sense, the Irish people are in a historical and cultural trap. 
political scientist and historian Benedict Anderson coined the term imagined communities to explain nationalism. Anderson depicts a nation as a socially constructed community imagined by the people who perceive themselves as a part of a group. The case of the Irish nation is a complex one. Kaumein Dibara, a historian in his book Gaelic, A Radical Revolution, sums it up brilliantly. The Irish nation derives its sense of historical uniqueness from a language it no longer speaks. There is a clear awareness that the decline of the language, which causes an enormous rupture in the historic continuity of the Irish nation, threatening to undermine both an individual and collective Irish identity. In 2008, a survey conducted by Cantar Milward Brown revealed that 40% of Irish people wanted more opportunities to both speak and learn Irish. This reveals an interesting conundrum. The Irish people are aware that Irish is a central part of their identity and resent not being able to speak it. This resentment turns into a hatred of the language itself and a wish that it never existed at all, which would resolve the identity crisis. That leaves us with a fundamental question. What does it mean to be Irish? Or for that matter, whichever country you belong to, what does it mean to be your nationality? If you are a listener from the Indian subcontinent, coming from either the mainland or from the diaspora, the decline of a national regional language in favor of English is not a new story. Within India itself, we have put English on a pedestal. And it's no wonder that it is the most sought after language today. While the practical reasons are obviously there, worldwide, the replacement of native languages is a systematic outcome of the British colonial project. In his book, Voices Silenced, Has Irish a Future? James McCloskey, professor of linguistics at the University of California, Santa Cruz, points out that there is a history amongst English speakers for not tolerating other languages. He notes, English, wherever it has gone in the world, has traveled on an ideological wave of great intolerance for bilingual activity and practice. Imperial cultures have probably always demanded that the language of empire be learned and used. Anglo-American colonial ideology has always taken a step further and demanded in addition that local languages be abandoned. Monolingual ability in English has been the result in large areas of the world, along with deeply held and unquestioned belief that multilingual ability or practice is rare and exotic. The future of Irish remains uncertain, but in our own ways, we must ensure that we protect and nurture our own languages. As the Irish case displays, losing your language may have far-reaching impact on our personal and collective identity. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YV Travel 42 on Instagram. 